Christians are a peculiar people. To the world around us, we often appear as strange or weird, like we really don't fit in. The phrase the Apostle Peter used to describe us was elect exiles. The idea is that even though we are chosen and precious to God, in a world that's corrupted by sin, we will feel like strangers or sojourners. As the song says, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. So Christians are called to live like foreigners and exiles while still pursuing relationships with the people around us who are not like us. And Peter's first letter is written to help saints, young and old, to figure out how to do that, how to live in the world while not becoming like the world, while also seeking to win the world back to God. The following episode is one of nine where we dove into this letter with fellow saints and seekers here in Brooklyn to try and figure out how do we share the gospel with our neighbors around us when the gospel feels like it's mostly unwelcome. Hope you benefit from listening. Peace and love, everybody. So uh, to get us going here, um, before we read, we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Uh, I want you to think about this. Have, have you ever seen somebody who has come within seconds or maybe minutes or inches of death, and yet they made some kind of miraculous recovery, um, whether that was like a car accident um, or some sort of accident they were in and they shouldn't have survived and they did, or whether that was in like um, some sort of sickness. Uh, I've seen stories like that this year, heard about, we prayed about story for, for people who were buried at death's doorstep this year and uh, then remarkably recovered from the, from the virus. Um, so uh, whenever things like that happen, it's not too uncommon to, uh, to hear people who've experienced this talk about um, how now they realize much more clearly what matters and what does not matter in life. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody um, experience something like that. I remember there was a brother who we prayed for for many months um, in the spring who was hospitalized and on a ventilator and near death for, for many weeks. Um, and when he came out, they videoed him coming out and like his conversations with his family as he was being wheeled out of the uh, hospital and headed back home. And uh, it was really, really super encouraging to hear him talk because all he, all he could think about and all he could talk about was just how important the Lord was and how, how important it was to uh, spend the rest of the time that the Lord gave him um, sharing the gospel. Um, you know, people who suffer for Christ and for the gospel's sake may also come to find this, this new kind of focus. Um, you know, if you've suffered a lot for the Savior's sake, you begin to see the danger and the impact of sin. And, uh, and oftentimes, uh, people that have been through that are, are done with it. They want nothing more to do with it. Um, and I think that's kind of what the, uh, the author here uh, Peter is hinting at in these, in these verses in first Peter chapter four. Um, you know, there's nothing easy about going through persecution, but if you can see persecution as, uh, as a sign that you're on the right path, uh, the persecution may in fact actually help you in some ways. Uh, like Jesus who suffered in the flesh, we, uh, Peter says at the beginning of first Peter chapter four, must put on the mental armor 
that will make us strong to endure the suffering that is coming. And so the verses that we're um, go, about to read are going to talk a little bit about that. What, is, what does this mental armor look like and how do we do that? How do we prepare for the suffering that we're going to face and how should our lives change because of our calling as elect exiles? So that's what we're going to be thinking about um, today. Uh, you may have more comments on that, so feel free to jump in here after we, after we read. Um, but we're going to start in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1 in the reading before we read. Uh, Brother Daniel, would you, would you lead us in prayer before we read today? Dear Lord, our Father, um, come to you today um, to please bless us with open hearts and open minds so we can have a, a wonderful discussion teaching today. We may learn a lot and we may um, all listen to each other respectfully and um, uh, we do ask that you help us to use what we learn in our lives. Um, help us uh, in our daily lives as well, Father, when we're out in the world. Help the sick of our congregation. And please uh, always be with us. Uh, we know that you're always looking out for us. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen, brother. All right, First Peter chapter 4. We're going to start reading in verse 1. I'm going to read all the way down through verse 11. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passion, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead, for this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength which God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right, let me just open it up uh, and, uh, and let you guys talk a little bit. What do you guys see in this text that really um, stands out to you or impresses you or confuses you or puzzles you? Um, what jumps out at you as we read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11? What are your first observations from this text? In verse 7, Caleb, where it says the end of all things is near, there's an urgency for us to step up to the plate, if you will, to be sober-minded and to be... Uh, of right mind and a sound judgment in the name of the Lord. Amen. Yeah, that's a really, uh, good, that's a really good way of saying that. A lot of urgency. Go ahead, Cliff. Sorry. No, I just that's all right. I like verse 10. I think 10 is a, a call um, for what we should do. Yeah. Amen. 
Yeah. God doesn't give us gifts just so that we can store them up for ourselves. He gives us gifts so that we can use them to serve other people. Uh, good point, Cliff. Uh, all right. Anybody else? Daniel, um, do you have something? Oh, evidence. Go ahead. Uh, no. Um, in the first two verses, it talks about how we're supposed to suffer as Christ did suffer. Yeah. I'm glad you pointed that out, evidence. We said that a lot in this letter, but I hope we don't forget it. Basically, every instruction that Peter gives um, in this letter, almost every instruction that he gives could have been summarized as, hey, basically just do what Jesus did. Like, live like Jesus lived follow in the footsteps of Jesus. He said that over and over again, and Ben did a good job of pointing that out in the last few sections, how each of these sections um, has been framed in that way. Since Jesus did this, you also do it too. Uh, in chapter four and verse one sets that up very well. Thanks, Evidence. Good. Other thoughts or comments? Um, first impressions from chapter four, verses one through 11. Ryan. Um, I think you were hinting at it, or you were hinting that also that Peter's hinting at it in um, second half of verse one and then verse two, like for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, right? Comma, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. But on first glance, it might seem like, oh, just because you've suffered in the flesh, you know, that means you're going to um, you're going to live the rest of the time. And I think um, that it, that's not it simply, but it's, you know, more to what I think you're suggesting that when you l allow yourself to suffer, to give up that sin and suffer through the temptation, uh, which you have to suffer through to get through it after that, you don't want to go back to it. Yeah. You see the impact that it's had. Like the sin, the danger of sin, the problem of sin, the yeah. impact of sin. And you also see that there's nothing, uh, m when you come close to, when you suffer and, you know, sometimes you don't know when you're suffering um, and think about some of these Christians probably didn't know how bad it was going to get. Could they be killed? Um, you begin to see more clearly that God's will is the only thing worth following, right? Um, you yep. begin to realize like, hey, this, this matters. God's will is what matters far more important than anything else in this world. So. Good, good. Any other uh, first observations from chapter uh, four, one to 11? Go ahead, Nelson. Um, it gives some sort of warnings. I don't know about, looks like evidence say, say something about following Jesus Christ and being example as him. And uh, Paul, uh, Peter talks about this some sort of a complete change they're supposed to make. Yeah. Not to walk like uh, the Gentile or the world of the people. But then he says uh, verses later that uh, there are judgment coming. Right. These people. And uh, so if you've been changed, I think that same judgment can fall on you. And I think in this same chapter, he talks about that. Um, ahead and first 19 kind of thing yeah yeah oh yeah, yeah and that kind of leads it nelson your thought there kind of leads into uh one of the questions i wanted to ask here at the start uh i posted in the chat here in verses uh one particularly verses one to six um he gives an emphasis uh talking about how how once we become christians once we start to suffer for christ 
our whole life turns around. Christians are to turn away from the behaviors and attitudes of their former lives. And I want to list some of the things that he mentions in chapter four and verse three that Christians are to give up and just briefly explain them. But while I'm doing that, I want you to think about in these verses, what do you see about why? Why is it so important for Christians to turn away from the behaviors and the attitudes of our former lives? Why is it important for us to give up the lifestyle that we used to have living like the nations? Um, Before you answer that question, though, I'm I'm just going to go through these words that he mentions in chapter four and verse three. Uh, Because I don't know that these are all words that we would use uh, all the time. I certainly don't use these words all the time. Um, Living in sensuality. So the word sensuality um, refers to like following the senses or enjoying uh, sensual pleasures. Specifically, most often this word is associated with sexual pleasures. Um, But the idea of sensuality is rejecting restraint. That is, you're indulging in behavior that is outside the laws of God, indulging in lawless behavior. That's the idea of sensuality. By the way, if anybody has a question on these, feel free to uh, jump in or comment on any of these in particular. Feel free to, to jump in at any point. Um, the second, second word here is lust. And, yeah. uh, and the word lust um, is a word that just means over desires. Now, this word can sometimes in Scripture be used in a positive sense. But most of the time in a negative sense, and clearly the context here is talking about in a negative sense. Um, and the idea of a lust is it's an inordinate desire. It's, it's desiring something too much or desiring something even outside the confines of, uh, of what God's plan or rule is. So the idea is, uh, so uh, an over desire for a married man would be a desire for uh, sexual pleasure outside of the marriage relationship, for example. Um, or, um, or, or learning to, or a desiring something uh, more, you know, you might think about one that we don't like to talk about a lot, but gluttony. Gluttony is not just uh, an appreciation of food. It's an over-appreciation of food to the point where we end up eating more than we ought to eat um, or, um, or wasting more than we ought to waste or spending more than we ought to spend um, because of this over-desire, this desire that's gone too far. Um, Amen. Yeah, drunkenness is uh, probably the easiest one to define here, excess of wine. Um, Orgies is the translation, one translation I read there uh, from the ESV. Uh, Some of yours may say revelry or something like that. The idea of orgies is uh, partying or reveling, uh, but this often included unbridled sexual immorality. Um, This is debauched partying, that is, it's... uh, it's a partying that is, uh, that is ultimately indulging in sensual pleasures um, to, a, to a degree that is, is harmful. Um, and then the last word there that I, I saw is uh, some translations say carousing or drinking parties. And the idea here is, uh, it, you know, the idea of going to a party, drinking too much. Uh, and normally this would be accompanied by uh, noisy, um, you know, making a lot of noise as well. Uh, from what from what I could understand of this word. So those are the words here that he says, hey, this is the way you used to live. Um, yeah, this is how you used to live like the Gentiles. And you can't live that way anymore. But why not? Um, as you read these verses, why is it so important for the Christian to give up that lifestyle? Um, Brian, did you have something? Go ahead. So um, I, when you were talking about sensuality, like, like you pointed out, like it's it sounds like it refers to sex, but it's also like things, you know, ple- pleasant feelings, you know, it could be like, uh, like eating, you know, like you're saying, eating too much or eating 
eating really expensive things because they give you this extra sensory pleasure when you eat them, you know, or smoking, you know, uh, drugs to a certain extent, even if you're not addicted, the idea of doing them for pleasure, you know, that's a sensuality. Um, And as to your, that question, the second question just now, um, my my first thought was um, because these are directly um, things of the flesh, uh, things that are pleasing to our, physical uh, bodies rather than spiritual and that that reason um, we need to give them up because we're trying to put off the old the old person put on the new man the new person Um, and we're not supposed to be living in the flesh in our you know in a physical form or we have to bring it with us but we're we want to be in a spiritual uh, existence good good mark yeah go ahead I think of the fact that we're in the world and we're not of the world. So we should not behave the way that people of the world or the majority of the people of the world behave, whether they're drunk or whether they're giving into lust. And as you said before, Caleb, these are behaviors that God does not approve of. So we don't want to live in a way that God would disapprove of. Good. 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 Any other uh, reasons you see in the text here or any other, uh, you know, uh, emphasis that you guys see in the text about why why we should give up this life? Mike and Candace. Um, I guess in verse, what is that? Verse 2, it says, um, just so that they would live for the will of God. Later on in verse 5, it talks about the fact that God will judge. Right. And then I guess in verse 6, it says again, live ac- to live according to God in the spirit. Those are the reasons I see. Good. And and there's a contrast there between living for the will of God and, uh, and living for human passions. The emphasis is on, Hey, you you have a new master now, like you're not living for just to please yourself. You're living to please the Lord. Therefore the way you're going to live and the lifestyle that you're going to live is your conduct is going to be very different. Good. Uh, any other thoughts on that? Why a Christian needs to give up? Verse 7, right? Yeah, go ahead, Nelson. Verse 7. Is that like something related to why we're supposed to? Because he says that the hand of everything is uh, is at your hand. Yeah. Yeah, how is that, how is that helpful? Why, why is that important, Nelson? Well, to know if you've been saved, right, and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're living in such a way that is not the like the way that the Lord who have called you um, has commanded you to walk. Right. And that means like you're going to lose your faith and you're going to end up just like those others who do not follow God. Right. If judgment day is coming, if the end is coming, then we need to be living in a way that prepares us to be able to stand before God uh, and to be ready for his coming. Uh, Daniel. Um, I like when it says, and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Yeah, good. What was your thought about that, Daniel? I don't know. I think it it means that you have to be, if you you don't want to be praying in vain or praying um, in, in uh, in a disrespectful manner because you're living a disrespectful life. Yeah. 
Yep. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, there's definitely a connection between uh, being clear-minded in verse seven, being sober, and uh, and prayer. Um, we'll come back to that again in a minute. Hey, Kale. Um, so, D- Daniel, but thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, Brian. Um, I have a question. Uh, in verse six, it's a little off, but it's in the same verses. Uh, for this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead. Is he talking about people, the gospel being preached to people who are dead in their sins or to people who have already died and they're being reminded of what the gospel said? Yeah, great question. Uh, I have the same question and I don't have an answer to it. So Okay, because it made me think of Jesus pre- preaching to the spirits after he was, before he uh, came back. Yeah, some people here see a connection between chapter 3 and verse 19 and chapter 4 and verse 6. Um, I'm not convinced that that's what he's talking about, um, and I'm not really sure what he's talking about. Yeah. I, I wonder if what he means by this is um, that for the Christians who are facing hostility because they're following Jesus— Ultimately, it's all going to be sorted out at the judgment. Um, right. And if you think about it, at death, to the pagan, to a Gentile, to somebody of the nations, it may look as though the Christians have lost. Um, but actually, all these Christians who are, who are now dead have already received the, the gospel, which was preached to them during their lifetime. So really, by God's spirit, they are alive. They are in God's presence. They're awaiting the resurrection to come. Um, That is a thought about how to understand that. I'm not sure it's the right one, but that's where I'm at. That's where I lean right now. So I don't know. Somebody else may have an answer to that question. That's a tough one. Um, I want to throw out another question, though, um, for that some of you may want to comment on um, that I was thinking about. Um, Have any of you guys ever faced a situation like the one in verse four. Um, have you ever faced a situation like the one in verse four? And if so, how did you handle it? Um, and, if so, and if you haven't faced a situation like that, I want you to think about how should we handle those situations when they come? So the situation again in verse four is, he says, um, with respect to this, they're surprised when you don't join them any longer in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. I, so my question is, have any of you guys who've turned away from these passions, these, these passions the nations are following after, used to be involved in it, you've turned away from it, and now people are looking at you like, what happened to him? What happened to her? Why is she so different now? Has anybody experienced that before? Um, and, and how did you handle it in the situation, whether good or bad, if you're comfortable sharing? Go ahead, just Tony. Just Tony. <laughs> um, well, I wasn't always a Christian. Um, and yes, I, I lived kind of a, a sedentary lifestyle back in the day if, uh, leading up to my conversion and stuff like that. But I remember. Um, By the way, yeah, Tony, I, you're, you're kind of new here. So I'll just tell you, a lot of us are in the same boat. So uh, so don't be yeah. afraid to talk about your past. So I appreciate it. Go oh, ahead. No, that, that, that past is dead and buried a long time ago. But thank God, um, thank I, God. I'm, I'm more than comfortable sharing my experience with that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, you know, I grew up pretty much out in the trailer park, and we were a bunch of unsupervised teenagers, 
Uh, we got in any kind of trouble that we can get into and, and lots of partying and stuff, but pretty much everything on the list almost. Um, but I remember the day that I started, you know, I, I confessed to one of my friends, like, look, you know, I, you know, I believe in God and I don't believe that this is the life that he wants me to live. And he kind of looked at me like I was weird. Um, and at first they were kind of uh, supportive of me, but at the same time, it's like they wanted to try and cause me to stumble. Um, but when they saw that they couldn't, they all kind of just rejected me completely. Um, you know, and, and basically like, you know, we, nobody would hang out with me, you know, nobody answered my phone calls. I, I realized I had to kind of move on anyways, but I still, you know, every time I was in town, I would look at one or two of them up, um, just to see how they're doing, where they're at. But yeah, I, I got pretty much rejected by everybody. But I, I like to say also, you know, there's, there's still I'm faced with it to this day. Like, you know, I'm I'm at work and, you know, somebody wants to show me something on their phone, like a, a piece of pornography or something that they want to look at for whatever reason. Because I, I do work in construction and I, that happens a lot. Like they all gather around. Oh, look at that, you know. Um, but, you know, with that I've determined to be like, almost speak with authority to this. Like, like, I don't want to see that. You know, why would you think that I would want to see that? You know, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Christian, you know, that isn't for my eyes. You know, God hasn't, you know, he has, he has different plans for me. He, he, he does not want us to, to look at that stuff, you know? Um, and they kind of try to, you know, get into philosophy with me. It almost turns into like an opportunity to share the gospel with them. But uh, I try to speak with that authority. Like, you know, God says that this is, this is wicked. You know, um, and I get teased for it sometimes, but for the most part, we, it actually kind of opens up for discussion with them. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing, sharing that for sure. Um, that's super, super encouraging. Uh, Daniel, did you have something? Um, I mean, I, I've kind of stuff everything a long time quite a while back but um yeah i guess getting hold of old friends and stuff is a little awkward because you know people want to meet it you know go out drinking and this and that and there's a, a couple of friends I've, I've have left from those days and you know we just go have dinner or something but um yeah it's um it's pretty much based around the the uh the bar yeah so yeah that's yeah i think that's what everybody really likes to do <laughs> realize i was you know that into that I, I don't really think i ever was i was just you know went along with it but now it's you know more of where i would feel more comfortable and um so yeah good Brittany. i think in reflecting on what tony was saying around you know, people rejecting you at first. <laughs> My experience has been that people assume that you think that you're way better than they are because you've, like, changed the way you behave. And so instead of, instead of it being, like, this opportunity where they want to learn more, where you can feel, where you feel like you can share more, it turns into, oh, now you think you're Miss Goody Two-Shoes or whatever, like, you're so much better than I am. Like, I don't even talk to you because now you think you're like a better person in every way than I am. And so I find that really challenging. Yeah. Cliff, did you have something? 
Well, I was just going to talk about construction. It is a pretty rough, the language is still a little rough, but it's changed a lot. I mean, I've been in construction since like 1970. And it used to be uh, people would have beers and lunch, and that's gone. They open up the gang box and be all kinds of crazy pictures. That's gone. And there's a whole lot more women involved than there used to be. So that's it's uh, tempered the environment a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, Mike and Candace. Yeah, to um, follow Brittany's point a few minutes ago, I just wanted to throw an idea out there. People who aren't believers, wouldn't you say they still have some innate conscious of right and wrong, whether they follow it or not? I mean, if you think about it, humans are the only people, only people, only creatures on earth that God breathed life into. And that's so that we could be conscious of God. The animals don't know who God is. So everybody on some level knows right from wrong. Whether they choose to follow it or not is their business. And if they choose not to follow it and then see us who strive to follow it, maybe their conscience is roused and it's some sort of guilt that they may not be aware of that's kind of reacting in this way, um, trying to get us to join them back in it. So yeah, that mean by the same token, that could offer a chance to you know share the gospel and let them know, look, God does not intend for you to live in this fashion. Um, what you're feeling right now, just everybody has the flesh and the spirit fighting within them. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe left that remind. Oh, go ahead, Candice. Sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. I was gonna say what Mike just said reminds me of what we were. Um, wait, was it with Ben? We talked about Cain and Abel right and came being like it's kind of like when you know i think we we are to expect suffering when we do the right thing because it it nags the conscience of the person who is doing the wrong thing and then to your to your question so that i i stay with your question i don't go off um about experiencing suffering i think for me um i did grow up in the church of christ and i remember that when I was a teenager and even at college, one of the biggest things that, you know, you'd kind of get quote unquote persecuted about is the fact that you wanted to keep yourself pure for marriage because, you know, that's not the trend and it's not the norm. And if you decide that that's what you're going to do, you're going to take some heat for that. Mm -hmm. Definitely true. Definitely true. Um, this all reminds me of what we read back in first Peter chapter two, Verse 11 and 12, where he said, Beloved, I urge you, your sojourners and exiles, remember that, so abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. In verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, the nations, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That is, hey, remember, guys, just like Jesus you know, you're going to have people who are going to malign you because of your good conduct. But understand that this is an opportunity for you to actually continue doing good and in so glorify God. And many of them will come to glorify God because they see that as well. Sometimes it's hard because we don't get to see that happen. Oftentimes the people that come to glorify God, it's, it doesn't happen in the moment, you know. In, in the moment, they're maligning us. They're attacking us. But ultimately, we can trust that actually our behavior, even in those moments, um, 
choosing to turn away from sin and to avoid the lifestyle of the nations, to live this holy conduct that God has called us to, that in the end, that's going to lead people and point people to Christ. Um, so that's what we got to think about. We got to think about um, the judgment that is coming. We got to think about the fact that Christ suffered too. We got to think about the fact that we're following in his footsteps and that our life is not about uh, human passions, but it's about the will of God. Oh, that we could get that into our heads, uh, how much more useful and how much more fruitful we would be in fulfilling our mission here as exiles. Our life is not about our own passions. It's about the will of God. Um, you may have more to say about on that. Feel free to jump in if you do. Uh, I want to come back to something that was brought up earlier. Uh, starting in verse 7 down through verse 11, there's a, there's a conversation about how the end of all things is at hand. Um, and I want you to think about um, how does the fact that the end of all things is at hand, how does that affect our behavior in the here and now? What do you see in verses 7 through 11 that, uh, that Peter emphasizes? How should the fact that the end uh, of all things is, is near, how should that affect the way we live and the way we behave and the way we act right now in, uh, in this present moment, in this present time? Yeah, Mark. If we don't have a chance to get our behavior together now and align our thoughts and our behavior and our actions with God, then it, it could be very well be too late. Okay, good. So just the fact that the end of all things at hand should motivate us yeah. to want to make a change to make sure we're doing the will of God. I think that's right. Tony? Um, yeah, I, I give a lot of thought to this um, all the time. You know, other scriptures in, in uh, 1 Corinthians where it talks about we'll, we'll receive a new body. Um, and Second Peter talks about the, the you know the heavens melting away and, and everything will be laid bare before God and I think that right there is a key to sober mindedness um, you know not necessarily you know the the absence of intoxicants in your brain but also being clear on what is coming um, and, and making sure that you're living your life according to that day where where God is going to be coming back you know and and keeping that in the forefront of your mind uh, really gives you a perspective of how you ought to live and how you ought to be and what's really important because this world is so full of distractions. It just pulls a veil over your eyes. Every time you get an inch closer to God, it just pulls that veil right back in front of you. Like, no, 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 you got work, you got bills, you got this, you got that. This guy said something about you. You're already mad because that guy cut you off on the way or whatever. This guy on the train was being a, a jerk or, you know, um, I think that's the first thing about, you know, being sober minded is, is paying mind to that. Like the end of all things is coming. Um, and then I like the rest of those verses and it's really, really about support for one another. Uh, we really, really need to have each other's back in this time. We need to remind each other of this constantly because like I said, if we're, if we're all by ourselves, we're not going to stand. You know, if we don't have each other's back, you know, we, we're going to, we very easily can miss the way and miss the point. And it's not something that was ever intended for us to do by ourselves. That's right. Good thoughts. Um, Ruth, did you have something? Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm sorry, there's an echo. Yeah, try it again. I think we got it. <laughs> sorry. Um, I was thinking about just not the this this idea that hey you know the urgency that you know things will pass away and everything but the idea that we don't even know 
when we're going to leave this earth. Right. You can, we can not wake up tomorrow and it still be a situation where we still have to live a life where instead of like, like pushing obedience for tomorrow or not living at your full potential just because you want to enjoy certain things in life. So it's a sense of urgency that not just when, you know, longing for Christ to come back, but you can pass away too. So. Yeah. I was listening to uh, brother Samuel's last sermon um, uh, online today um, that he preached a couple of weeks ago before he uh, got too sick to, uh, and was at home. And it was interesting to hear him talk. He was talking about just how so many people are dying who have academic degrees. They have all kinds of things. And, 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 and what does all that do for them then um, in the sermon? And uh, it was an interesting thing because he was, of course, emphasizing that really what matters is are we, are we living in such a way that we are going to be ready for the Lord's return? And, uh, and uh, it's kind of, it's an important thought. I mean, who would have, I, he, I'm sure he, at the time he had no idea that two weeks from that sermon, he was going to be with the Lord. Uh, we got to be living in such a way that we're ready for that uh, when the time comes. Mike and Candace, go ahead. Yeah, I like how in verse 8 he says, and above all things. So he's like, yeah, you have to be serious, you have to be watchful, but above all things, be fervent in love. And I guess all this is, is reminding me of the first John class with, um, with Ben. I guess that's what I was referring to earlier when I talked about Cain and Abel because we were doing first John chapter 3. And I think there in verse uh, 10, it says kind of like, um, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. And so you see this kind of like, you know, these passages where God is pretty much saying, yeah, be this, be that, but above everything else, love, right? And it's just in terms of, um, I guess, to your question, how should the end of all things affect our behavior? I think we, we just have to be very conscious of our love for each other. And it can be a very difficult thing, especially in this society where, you know, we're usually encouraged to look out for self. Yeah. So it's very difficult to sometimes think about ways to love each other. And yeah, I think that's what, that's exactly actually what we were discussing in Ben's first John class, like how, how can we love? And I like here in first Peter, how it kind of goes on in the other, this is to show you how to, how to love. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really important um, what you're saying there. And, and, I, and notice the emphasis on that. Keep loving one another earnestly, verse 8, since love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9, show hospitality. What's hospitality? The love of strangers. Show love to strangers um, and, and show love to one another without grumbling You could, is, is essentially what he's saying there. As each of you has received a gift, use it to love one another. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Basically, what, what Peter's saying is, hey, since the end of all things at hand, be self-controlled, be sober-minded, be prayerful so that you can love, so that you can love people in a way that's going to help them to come to God and to be restored to God and to glorify God so that they can be with God when everything ends. Um, and man, you know, isn't that true? The closer people get to death, the closer people get to the end, and when they can see it coming, the more serious they are about loving God and about serving God and about focusing on loving others for his sake. 
Um, and it ought to be that we, we live that way every day. Coming back to Daniel's point, I think that's why he connects here, self, uh, having a clarity of mind or mind says they're self-controlled, but more literally the idea is clarity of mind, sobriety for the sake of prayers. The reason why we need to be praying is because that's what clears our mind to focus on the things above. Prayer is what reorients my mind and gets my mind off of the things below and sets them back on the things above. Sets my, it, it, it refocuses my priority on God and on pleasing him. Um, and so that's going to that's gonna reorient me back to what does God want from me? Well, he wants me to love others as he has loved me. He wants me to do what's best for the people that I'm around and to care for them diligently. And so that's going to produce in me hospitality. That's going to produce in me a love of the brethren. That's going to produce in me a desire to take all the gifts that God has given me and use them to, uh, to bless others. One more note I'll give, and then I'll open up if you guys want to say anything else through verse 11. Um, one more note I'll give quickly, though. Um, when he talks about this idea of uh, love covering a multitude of sins, this is coming from the, uh, the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12. Um, I don't think the idea here is that if you love people, it really doesn't matter if you keep on sinning, you know, love will cover your sins, you know, you, you know, take away all your sins. I think the idea is here that love will transform situations and love will transform your attitude towards others. Um, so think about, uh, think about in relation to this, um, how has love helped you to deal with other people's sins? Some of the sins that we hold against them, we have this bitterness and resentment. Love will break all that down and lead us to forgiveness and lead us to work towards reconciliation in those relationships. Uh, love is going to transform a situation and love can transform a relationship and turn, uh, and turn us back to each other and turn us back to God. And again, if the end is near, then we got to be working towards that. That ministry of reconciliation is what we're all about, making sure that we're all united working towards that same goal of being with the Lord and, and being united with him in the end. All right. Anything else you guys want to say through verse 11 before we go forward? Uh, Nelson, go ahead. I'm glad you say that, Caleb. Um, I think I've seen that many ways that love can actually change. I don't know, bad people, you know what I mean? Like people have been acting really bad to you. And if you love them, showing them love that can actually change i don't know how is that only god knows but uh, it is powerful amen that's exactly right so let's look at uh verses 12 to 19 um and uh, we'll finish today in verses 12 to 19 but um read with me starting in first peter chapter 4 uh verses 12 to 19 where he says beloved do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? 
Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. What do you guys see in verses 12 to 19 uh, that impresses you or helps you um, or jumps out at you in these, in these verses? What, what's helpful about what Peter says here uh, in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 19? Um, I like the, the very first verse that says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test yeah. you. As though something strange were happening to you. Right. Why is that helpful, Dan- Danny? Um, because, I, well, I think that we, we sometimes, I sometimes feel like I'm being tested and don't know it, but try to make the right decisions and, you know, pray about it. Um, so uh, I take it more literal. I don't know if that's what it means to be. Yeah, I think it is. Um, so think about this for a second related to your point, Daniel. Um, imagine how surprising it must have been to the early Christians. After Jesus was raised from the dead and he says, hey, all authority has been given to heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations. And he goes back up into heaven. He's on the throne in heaven. They watch him go back up in the sky. Think about how surprising it must have been to them the first time they started getting attacked. Think about when Stephen gets stoned. Can you imagine the shock that many of those saints would have had? Like, wait a second. I thought Jesus was on the throne. I thought he had all authority. Why are people dying down here? And then everybody starts getting driven off. Think about how surprising that would have been to the saints at that time. Um, there's still this period of intense suffering that people are going to go through. Um, and I think we may experience, and we often, too, are surprised today when the same thing happens to us. But according to these verses, why should suffering not surprise us? Um, I'll give you that to think about. Mike and Candace, I think one of you had something. Go ahead. Yeah, so this question where it, it's funny how it says the fiery trial. Um, yeah. So previous class, we were talking about how fire was used to purge the earth um, so that Noah could, you know, start over in righteousness. But I'm sorry. Water in Noah's case, fire in the case of Sodom and Gomorrah. I apologize. But here, it looks like fire is being used to refine. So when we go through a fiery trial, that trial is something that's, you know, getting the vestiges of worldliness out of us. Um, It's not to destroy us. It's to refine us for the Lord's sake. Amen. That's a really, really powerful and helpful thought. If we'll just get it in our heads and in our hearts, um, God's fires that he lets us go through the trials that we face, they're not meant to destroy us. They're meant to refine us and make us more like him. Uh, go ahead, Tony. Yeah. Um, I just want to point out, and, and I'm not sure I'm not like not positive on this, but from what I've read, they believe that Peter wrote this during the time of Nero when he was actually burning Christians. Um, but I don't have like solid proof on that, but they, I guess the overall message is, is they were suffering for being Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't, and I think he kind of alludes to that. You weren't suffering for being a wrongdoer or anything. You're simply suffering for being a Christian. Um, 
And that is why they need to rejoice because they are participating in the suffering of Christ. And we've learned previously that those who participate in the suffering of Christ are the children of God. And God himself will um, glorify them with Christ at the end. But we uh, ourselves, you know, we, we need to face those same trials, you know, not necessarily the floggings and the beatings and stuff like that. But like, for instance, like I said, that I have construction worker friends or coworkers that want to show me stuff. And then after I tell them, no, they want to make me feel bad about it. Um, those pale in comparison to what these Christians were going through at the time. But nonetheless, there's still trials that we have to face uh, as Christians. And, and it, that we have to make sure that, that that is clear that we're not just over here suffering for whatever sake, but we're actually suffering for the sake of Christ and for the sake of sharing our faith. Um, and, and I think that's, that's the key right there. And that's where we need to rejoice is when we start facing those sufferings, we are now sharing in the suffering of Christ and we are now the children of God and we will be glorified in the end with Christ. Amen. Good thoughts. Yeah. Uh, Brian, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, somewhere along the lines of the, the end of what Tony was saying um, is that it is like, you know, thoughts of encouragement as well as, you know, for myself and uh, correct me if I overstep with my uh, language here, but um, I think it's really important for us in this modern world uh, to, to remind ourselves uh, that we're, you know, equals with the uh, apostles um, that we're, when we suffer and we're living in Christ, we, you know, I think it's very easy for us to be like, Oh, well, I'm suffering because I'm like a sinner. I'm no, I'm not like, they were suffering, you know, like kind of like Tony was saying, but no, I think if we're living in Christ, what, you know, I think what helps us is knowing that, yes, if we're suffering because we're trying to give something up, even if it's a private suffering, we're trying to get over a sin uh, or a public, which we're being, you know, kind of humiliated about something. Um, yes, we are suffering for Christ and that's where we get our joy. Cause if you, if you see your suffering somehow is not really counting, because it's the modern world and we're just being made fun of or bullied or something, it, then you're basically, you're not going to, you're not going to share in that joy, which you're absolutely, you know, God tells us in Ephesians where, you know, we're, we're part of it. We're, we're, um, I mean, Paul tells us in Ephesians. Um, and so it helps if you're going to be suffering to, to feel, to remember and to think, to believe that you're suffering somewhat like Christ might've suffered. Cause I'm sure you know, Christ walked through his day and he might've had little sufferings that were very mental just as much as some of the very conf confrontational ones, you know, he might've had to uh, pass along women or, or, you know, choose not to, you know, overeat or something small or be rude to somebody. Um, and he had to cringe or something, but, you know, there's, there's sufferings as a person who's trying to live in the spirit that we're equaling with Christ and we're equaling with the apostles and we shouldn't think of ourselves as, as less. And that's why we should rejoice. Amen. Amen. We may not have the same authority, but we have the same value and we have the same role in a sense in the world in, in that we're part of this mission of bringing the gospel to the world. Yes. Not, right, not the same authority. Right. Correct. Correct. And there, yeah. I, I hear you. And I think that's right on. And therefore we're going to share in the same, uh, reception that they got. There are going to be some people that welcome us with open arms and thank God for us and love us because we brought to them the words that lead to eternal life. And there are going to be some people that hate our guts, that 
want to hurt us and want to say and want to malign us and want to do everything they can to ruin our lives um, because they see us as in fact ruining people's lives by the work that we're doing. And, and it's great to remember that the passages in the Bible where the apostles leapt for joy after they were stoned and beaten, they got up and counted as all joy. So if we, if, if we can imagine that, yeah. you know, it's easier to actually, we should be doing that too. We should be jumping for joy after our boss, you know, reprimands us for uh, mentioning Jesus in a staff meeting. You know, we should be leaving and jumping for joy. Um, you know, Kirk, assuming it was the right thing to say you know right no i think i hear what you're saying and I, I think i think it's helpful if we can see suffering as a sign that we're on the right path yes suffering for the savior's savior's sake it gives us a cause for great rejoicing go ahead ruth you there ruth for some reason we're not hearing you sorry you guys can now we got you you guys can hear me now now we got you sorry um i guess when i think of i when i see these words like rejoice and gladness or i my mind is thinking of maybe like not this like chipper kind of thing but right. this kind of wait to kind of long for hope yeah like future hope um, to redirect our minds that like what we're enduring in the momentary is actually not worthy to be compared to like the future. Right. And so um, I think it's just um, Peter's kind of just reminding us like, yeah, um, all these things are happening. Yeah. And these things are fleeting and it's temporal, but it's, it's actually just trying to redirect our hope. Yeah. Amen. Amen. There's something really comforting about these verses for me. Um, there's something really encouraging about these verses. Uh, when you think about it, like, hey, you know, we're going to have burdens that we're bearing. We're going to have sorrows that we're sharing, that we're going to have hardships that we face for the gospel's sake. There are going to be people who do not like us. There are going to be people who say bad things about us, who insult us. Uh, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That is a powerful uh, comfort. That is so reassuring and so encouraging. Um, yeah, Nelson, sorry, go ahead. Hey, Caleb, this is Antonio. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I just would like to say that I noticed how Paul uh, paints the difference between those people who, who, who they, I mean, who suffers and they identified by, I mean, those people who suffered and they identified by God and those who do not identify by God. And also all the, uh, all the suffering is not, doesn't come from God's will. I mean, if, if you understand what I mean. And, and also, I don't know if uh, on verse 18, because mine says, and if it's difficulty that the righteous is saved, so uh, I'm thinking of, you know, since, um, you, know, our, you know, we, we experienced God's grace and it's not, it's not going to be easy for us even to enter the kingdom of God, even to be saved. So what can we do to, do to our brothers, I mean, those people we love? Can you ask your question one more time? So, uh, even, so our, 
I was, I mean, uh, my verse 18 says that it's with di- uh, it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved. So if those, if those righteous people who, who serve God, it's going to be difficult for them to enter the kingdom of God. So what can we do to those who, who practice evil doers to enter the kingdom of God? Yeah. Yeah, well, good question. And I think ultimately the answer is we can continue to do good. Uh, verse 19 says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Remember back in chapter 2 and verse 11 um, that he said uh, to abstain from your passions of flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they'll see your good works um, and glorify God on the day of visitation. So essentially, Peter's answer to that is, hey, your job is to keep doing good. Um, Are those verses reassuring, comforting? Puzzling. I'm talking about verses 17 and 18. Uh, for it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who don't obey the gospel of God? What do you think about those verses? Do you find that comforting or helpful um, as a Christian uh, or puzzling or difficult? It can encourage us because it can help us set the standard for those who don't believe. That if we could get ourselves to obey the gospel, then there's hope for others. Yeah. What about this part about if the righteous is scarcely saved? Mike and Candace, go ahead. I was. I think it's scary. Why do you say that? <laughs> just because. Um, wasn't that a verse that says there is a verse? I just don't remember where it is. That judgment will begin at the house of the Lord. Like it's just it's scary for me because, you know, if the righteous would scarcely be saved, I don't know. Is the fact that you. You might think you're doing right, but you might be wrong. Yeah. Um, it's it's scary. I, I don't know. I don't know what other words to use. I just feel like it's scary. Yeah, yeah. Nelson or Antonio? Yeah, Nelson. Uh, yeah, I was just thinking about. I think Paul says something like that. We we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and. And here's the saying that begins that the judgment begins in the house of God. Uh, and I think that makes sense when, when you look at that parable that Jesus was talking about, uh, when he talks about that the angel would gather uh, those who are in the side of God uh, and the lamb and, the, you know, kind of like, um, and to make a separation between. It looks like today in the church of God, we still have those people who are not even, you know, believe in God and uh, they go to church. Uh, they, they are with us. Uh, you know, they, they are Christian. They are like, they read the Bible and they do everything. And I think that's what Peter is saying. Like, hey, the judgment has to start in the house of God so that God can clean up all that. And uh, then outside, because inside we also have some messed up people. Uh, inside your church. I think that's what's going on here. Yeah, I mean, to your point, maybe, as I read this, whether or not this produces joy and gratitude, the statements in 17 and 18, or uh, fear and panic depends on whether or not I'm doing the will of God. I actually think this statement is meant to be comforting and reassuring to the Christians who are going through great hardship, um, that judgment is coming, and, uh, and, 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 
if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Um, I think ultimately here, you know, the point is that um, God's going to start by judging his own household. And from God's perspective, even the holiest, most loving person is still somebody who needs to be saved. Somebody who needs God's grace. That person is still so weighed down with sin that nothing short of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus could bring about their rescue. And, and, and that ought to lead us to uh, gratitude, but also a sober uh, reflection on, on what's going on around us with the people around us. Uh, and that ought to lead us to be more careful about the mission that we have to do what is good, to entrust ourselves to this faithful creator. I have one more question here on the verses. Um, I, I want you to think about in verse 19, he says, uh, it, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And I want you to think about this as we uh, try to wrap up today. In what areas of your life do you have a hard time trusting that God is a faithful creator by doing what is good? I want you to think about your life. And I want you to think about your conduct and your behavior, your attitudes and your actions. Are there actions in which you are showing through your disobedience to God that you do not trust that he is really faithful, uh, faithful enough that if you could do good, that he'll take care of you in doing it. Um, we need to think about this. This is a sobering text and a sobering reminder, but also a comforting one. If I'm entrusting myself to the faithful creator, uh, then I can have confidence that even if I'm suffering according to God's will, if I just keep doing good, I got the faithful creator behind me. Who's protecting me? Who's providing for me? Who's guiding me home? Uh, and he can finish what he started. The one, who, the one who made me in his own image is able to remake me and to renew me into the image of Christ again and bring me back home to share in his glory. All right, what else do you guys want to say over these verses? Other thoughts on uh, verses 12 to 19? Uh, Brian. Yeah, um... Kind of speaking to what, what Candace said, um, it's always a little scary to be told like, hey, you barely made it, you know, <laughs> or you're barely going to make it, you know. Um, and I think, so I think um, like whenever I see that, I might have a little fright, but what helps me, because you remember Satan will take whatever foothold he can get. If he can scare you into going out there and doing something panicky. Um, but I think you're right, Caleb. It's encouraging because if it makes you think, oh, wait a minute, am I scarcely saved or am I maybe not saved? It makes you look at, well, who is he comparing the, the saved to? He's comparing the saved to the ungodly and the sinner. What's going to become of them? You know, we're studying the Bible together. We're trying, we're trying to change our lives. Um, we're helping others. Um, I'm not saying you can't be here and, and be a complete sinner, but more than likely it's probably not if you're coming regularly <laughs> and, and doing everything. And so I, but I think more, to the point in yourself, if you get that little bit of scare, because yeah, there's only a remnant who's going to be saved or they're scarcely saved. Um, the righteous, we can look at ourselves and say, okay, I think I'm doing all the right things here. So feel safe. And then we can look towards others because yeah, we are scarcely saved, 
and we think of ourselves as pretty good people. So we know that the people out there who are telling us, quite frankly, their sins and, and very casually where we see them, um, and I'm not saying judging them for them at all, but we know how serious the, um, you know, the consequences for what, you know, what they're, what they're doing. Cause we've, we've worked so hard to, to stop doing them in ourselves. You know, if we've done all that work and then we see someone else doing it, we got to think to ourselves, man, like I got to help this guy because it took me like, <laughs> like five, six months to, you know, to like start, you know, to reduce that behavior in myself. I got to, this person doesn't even, you know, they don't even have even started. Um, I think that's where it helps us. And that's a good feeling. That's something that should, again, we should you know, rejoice about that we're with, you know, Jesus and the apostles. We're helping people, you know, overcome their sin. Good. Mike and Candice? Yeah, I guess, like, like Brian was clarifying, and I, I want to clarify my earlier statement with being scared. Like, I think as Christians, we will have some amount of uh, fear, if that's respect, or just afraid. I mean, we look at the Old Testament, and, the, you know, the Israelites were afraid when they saw the glory of God. So, I mean, I think sometimes when we think about, you know, earlier in this passage, it was talking about uh, the judgment, right? And even here in verse 17, it's saying, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of the Lord. And judgment um, can be a scary thing, right? When we think of all the things we've done, we know that, that God has covered our sins, but it can still be a scary thing when we think of the end and, and, and being saved. And I don't think that that's a bad thing um, to think that it, it it's a little, it's a, it, it, I don't think it's a bad thing to be to have some fear when it comes to that because I think we need <laughs> some fear in terms of our worshiping and respecting God. And while this, yes, is comforting to think, okay, well, you know what, I'm a good person, you know, I'm I'm trying to do good and I'm trying to do the will of God and I will be I'll be safe for it. I think that it it it, it still instills some amount of fear in there. So I think it could be both things at the same time, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that yeah and i hope i didn't say anything to contradict that uh candace because certainly i mean already six different times in this book maybe more than that but I, i've counted at least six he's encouraged us to fear the lord he's encouraged us to live our lives in fear so certainly that fear of god and that gratitude for what the lord has done should be coexisting in our walk with the lord that's a critical part of our walk. Uh, Tony, yeah. Um, I kind of see these last uh, three verses as a call to um, continue to share your faith with those who are lost, regardless of the circumstances or what you may be facing. Because um, we are talking about suffering as Christians, you know, so that's kind of, you know, in their case, you, they were being murdered and, and all kinds of things out there. They're being stoned. They're being attacked by the Romans on one side and by the Jews on the other side. Um, you know, and they were still called to share their faith, however, whatever way they did it back then. Um, you know, and, and I think that's what I see here. It's a calling for us to share our faith despite the suffering that we may see or, or that may arise and, and uh, we may be subjected to under it. Um, you know, cause when, when it talks about, uh, if the righteous are barely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinners? That's actually a quote from Proverbs 11, chapter 31. 
Um, and I think it's just trying to make that conduct. It's like, if you're barely going to make it, you know, what about these people who are totally, utterly lost out there? And they, they're the ones reviling you, but they need Jesus just as much as you do. You know, so, and, and you know, just to, to have that in mind. So now we need to entrust ourselves to God who has our soul and our best interest at heart, you know, as we go out and, and we are going to willingly subject ourselves to some suffering in that regard. Uh, if we are actively sharing our faith. Um, and, and that's what I see that that's, that's the calling that I see there. And that's the, the both. I can see the fear because, you know, we're basically signing up for suffering, but in the end result, you know, we will be uh, relieved when, when Christ returns. Yeah, agreed. And just to add to what you're saying there, Tony, um, one of the things that he's been emphasizing throughout this book is that the gospel is something that we proclaim with our mouths, but it's also something that we live with our lives. Think, think back to chapter 2 and verse 11, that when they see your good deeds, they'll glorify God. Again, here, we're to called to entrust ourselves to a faithful creator um, while doing good. And I love how Peter doesn't tell us exactly how to do good. He just says, do good, do your good deeds. You go and figure out how to do good in every circumstance, in every situation. But think about this. A lot of us, you know, we're proclaiming with our, with our words, but we're, because we're not living it with our lives, the people don't listen to us and they don't hear what we have to say. So what we've got to focus on is both being bold and courageous enough to proclaim Jesus with our words and also being uh, careful enough to proclaim Jesus with our lives. Uh, we've already wasted enough of our time here. So our, if our time is short, then we, we can't grow weary in doing good. All right, I want to leave you with this question. I want you to think about this week, uh, the next couple of days, as you reflect on this text, hopefully, and reflect on what we've read. I want you to think about which of these instructions in 1 Peter chapter 4, and ask God to help you to discern this. Which of these instructions do you most need to work on in obeying the Lord this week? And what changes are you going to make this week to make sure that you, are, that you don't continue living in your own selfish passions, but rather living for the will of God? May God help us to go about entrusting him, entrusting ourselves to him while we go about doing good. Not living for those old, sinful, selfish passions that we've lived, already wasted enough of our life living for, but living the rest of our life for the will of God. Let us pray. Oh, Father, thank you so much for our time in your word. Thank you for these truths that you have revealed to us through Peter's letter. Thank you for the comfort and the joy and the hope that it brings. And Lord, help us to embrace our lives here, even in the midst of fiery trials. Lord, help us to trust that you are refining us, that you are working in us for good. Help us, oh God, not to suffer as murderers or thieves or evildoers or as meddlers, but help us, Lord, to embrace suffering as a Christian to not be ashamed, but to glorify you in that name. Lord, we know that judgment is coming soon. We know the end of all things is near. So help us, O oh Father, to live soberly with clarity of mind, prayerful every day in light of these things, loving our brothers and sisters, loving our neighbors, reaching out to them with the gospel and shining light through the, con through the good conduct. Lord, often we don't know how to do what is good so we pray, oh God, that you will help us to know how to do good in any and every circumstance and situation that we face. Lord, please, we need you every hour of every day. Help us to glorify your name. 
in all things. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Caleb. Thank you, everyone. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.